0: Right. Well, I uh, apologize to start we up ahead of. <laughs> you know what? When you're when you're dealing with life and stories and trauma, there's a lot of things that uh, we're about to bring up. A lot of old memories, a lot of things, and um, I know the Lord is going to give you the words. And there's a lot of people that are going to be touched by y'all's lives. We already have been. This church is better. I'm a better pastor uh, because of y'all's lives and your faithfulness and and watching uh, your victories. And so uh, you're you're right here with a bunch of people who love you. uh, But y'all don't know what they've been through. And when you hear this story, you're going to be that much more in love and so blessed. But I promise you, uh, there's people watching today uh, that are hopeless. And people watching today that don't know, how, how can I make it? I'm going through all these different things. Uh, but your story, your life, your victories are going to help so many people. And so I want to say thank you for agreeing. Billy asked me this morning, how did I let you talk me into this? Yeah. <laughs> Y'all seen all these veterans? Any of them would have been better than <laughs> peace speaking. <laughs> well, we're just honored that, that, that you said yes. So let's just, uh, let, let's just pray. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you as uh, we said, for our veterans. But I say thank you for Brother Billy and Sister Katie. Thank you for their life, for their story. Lord, that they have lived and are living. And Lord, let uh, the, the the words just flow. They didn't have to uh, practice for their life. They lived it. So I pray, Lord, as, they, uh, as it just begins to come back, as they begin to share their story, Lord, our hearts are open to receive, and let it bring help and healing to us and to many. And for that we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, where t- tell us a little bit. Where, where did y'all grow up? Where, where did you uh where did y'all live?
1: Well, I was born Minneola and raised in Grand Saline. You know. That's about <laughs> it. I didn't go very far. Didn't go very far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can turn turn his mic up a little bit so I can hear. Uh, Katie, what about you?
2: I'm sorry. I was born in Haskell. We lived in, uh, my family lived in rural. It's out in the Sweetwater area. And, Rattlesnake uh, capital. Yeah. Man. And then we moved to the Panhandle in a little town named Floyd We moved to Sweetwater, and then we moved to East Texas when I was 12. And East Texas is beautiful, but we didn't like it because of the humidity. <laughs> it's not hot like that in West Texas, but...
1: Anyway. So where, where where did y'all meet? Did, that's you're, you're where we in met. And you're where? She moved there in the seventh grade. She yeah. came in the auditorium. I was sitting next to her cousin, which it turned out she was kin to everybody in the <laughs> county. You know, and My I told Johnny right. at that time, that's the girl I'm gonna marry and he said she'll never have you. <laughs> <laughs> and she didn't date me till I was a junior, so you know. She didn't want to date me. <laughs> so, was it your 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 desire?
0: Had you wanted to go to the military? What? How did how did that happen? How did you end up in the Marines?
1: Uh, my dad was in World War II. He was in uh, Africa, Italy, and Germany. My stepfather, my dad died when I was two. My stepfather was in the military and. I don't think they called it. They called it shell shock then, but he was one of the meanest people you ever met in your life. But uh, he ran the American Legion, which was the only place that was wet. Back then, it was only Gladewater was the only place you could buy booze. And so basically, he ran it. So I basically was there with all the veterans, so I got interested in they told me all their stories and stuff, so it's one reason I got into it. My best friend went in the Marine Corps a year before I did. I wanted to go with him, but he was, he was bigger than I was, and he wasn't going to let me, so. They <laughs> a year later, me and uh, my, best, uh, my other friend, we have joined on a buddy plan in the Marine Corps. The draft was alive back then. Uh, knew that everybody was going. You knew he was going. The Marine Corps had the shortest program. You know, you'd sign up for two years, but most people only spent about 18 months because you go through training, you go to NOM, and when you get back, they didn't have anything they could do for all those people. So they let you out. Of course, my best friend, that didn't happen. He ended up having to teach sniper school. So, I wanted know. to
2: say, <clears throat> Billy, I think he kind of had a dysfunctional family, <laughs>
0: yeah, <had> a little <laughs> but his mom
2: <laughs> loved her kids tremendously, and uh, Bill was the person that I met and that I knew when we were juniors is who he is today. I mean, he uh, he always wanted to help people. He was just that kind of person. He was friends with everybody, and one time when we were seniors. There was talk about this girl being pregnant. You know, back then, that didn't happen. (laughs) And so, one day, we met up in the hall after class, and he said, she's not pregnant. And I said, how do you know? And he said, I asked her. Mm -hmm. And I said, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, he said, I was going to tell her I'd be there for her. I'd help her, you know. Anyway, that's just who he is. Maybe because of his hard growing up. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs)
1: So what year was that that you joined? I joined in 1968. Right out of, I joined right out of school. Well, actually, I joined while I was in school. And it's a good thing I did because I wouldn't have graduated. Uh, I was not exactly wanting to be an, an academic type of person. And uh, <laughs> so I had chances to work when I was And so I'd rather work and go to school. So the principal would tell me it was a all oh, it was a bet going on whether I would graduate or not because I missed over half the year of school. <laughs> and she'll vouch for that. I just didn't go. I worked and I liked it and
2: I didn't know how smart he was until after we married because he He was gone half the time from school.
1: Oh, yeah, I love showing off my high school transcript. I'm the only one I know that's got a zero for a class. A zero, not an F, a zero. (laughs) (laughs) And that was because the principal decided I was going to take trigonometry, college preparatory English. I was going to take all these pre-college courses, and I decided I wasn't taking them, so I didn't. So the bet was that he was going to walk out on the stage and he was going to say, Sorry, this is Billy Hall. He'll be back. He'll be, he'll be going to school. In the same. But he told me he let me graduate because he knew I was going in the Marine Corps. And he, he figured they had straightened they'd straighten me out, which was <laughs> funny. <laughs>
0: so where did, when you, you enlisted and they sent you to boot camp, where did you go to boot camp?
1: I went to boot camp in San Diego, California. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, boot camp was wild. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, boot you camp's really rough. Uh, this, huh? Is that where you did the motor
2: song?
1: No, that was afterwards. You didn't okay. You didn't get, you got no leave when okay. you're in boot camp. But what was hilarious was, uh, it was not hilarious, but. The scariest I got was the day before one of the uh, one of the D.I.s said, if y'all want to escape, just crawl over that fence right there, and there's a road out there, and you try to get a lift, and you can get that lift, you'll be out of here. I thought, well, who's crazy enough to go over that fence? And so the very next day, I'm in front of the uh, drill instructor's hut, Doing five hundred six count squat trust, which I seem to be doing all the time because I was such a good candidate to be a military person and i didn't I didn't follow orders very well, and anyway, I'm sitting there and this guy that's probably the smartest guy in our platoon he was a college graduate had a master's degree in English. But when you have to go up there and knock on that door and say, Sir, private hall, request permission to speak to drill instructors, sir, and you have to do everything in order, there's no way you're going to ever get it right. If he doesn't say speak and you speak, you're in trouble, and it's just total silence, then you go away, you you know, (laughs) as quick as you can. But to go to the head or do anything, you you had to go to the hut and ask permission before you could leave your area. And uh, he got up there and said it wrong. They sent him inside, and it was the first time I ever seen this. Uh Sergeant Dum-Gumbran, he was sergeant not sergeant Plunkett. He had a hangman's noose in his hand. and I thought, what's he doing with that? And the other sergeant, all the DIs was in one hut, so there would be four platoon leader, uh, squad leader, all, all of the DIs would be in that hut, and. Anyway, the, he, he could not ever make it through that. He'd mess up. So they had him inside. And the uh, sergeant for platoon 1036 says to the, platoon, to the sergeant of 1035, I wouldn't have that man in my group. That maggot would never make it. So next thing I know, they've got, he says, you got a noose there. That's what I'd do. I'd get rid of him. And I thought, oh, God. You know, and I'm out there watching all this, and they put him on a footlocker. They string him up, and and then one said to the other, you ain't got the nerve to kick that footlocker out, and they kicked that footlocker out, and he's dangling there, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm going over that fence. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, oh, so that was the first time I ever seen that, uh, and I seen it three times while I was in service, and it scared me every time. But the whole trick of it is they pull the rope so tight that they're actually on their tiptoes by the time they kick it out. So so there's no fall, there's no breaking of the neck from the fall. So but it'll scare the dick inside of you. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well, you know, so yeah, that was boot camp. So, so you survived led, boot camp. You didn't get strung up, that's good. Something and I happened. didn't get strung up. I learned <laughs> never to volunteer because the <laughs> next time I seen it is when somebody volunteered. Yeah. and he made a point you never volunteer <laughs>
0: <laughs> boot camps over where uh where did, where did they send you where was your deployment
1: we go to ITR which is basic you know is infantry training um, basically everybody that's where you learn the training of just the how the different squads operate and so forth and everything they're getting you ready for now so that's the training you go to there that was a Educational place because I don't know if any of you knew that Walt Disney was a Marine, but he was honorably he was dishonorably discharged as a conscientious objector. And Walt Disney, in all of his wisdom, which I thought it would be great to have a Marine Corps Day every year at uh, Disneyland out there in California. And so here we are in the middle of training and one day they come up and they say, Y'all are going to Disneyland. Well we ain't been off base. You know, we haven't seen a girl and, and you know, <laughs> they're sending us to Disneyland. Now that makes no sense to me. I thought this is gonna be trouble. And it was uh, we did they sent us in a, what we call cattle trucks, which was basically had no windows, no air, no nothing. And they threw so many people in there, they packed you in there like sardines, and they drove you right to the entrance of Disneyland and jumped you out. And so you all went and you put eight or nine of you together to get a room because you didn't have any money. And then you went to Disneyland. And, of course, partying was next, and, of course, we all ended up at the jailhouse. (laughs) And that's when you learn that you can count on your D.I.s because they come to the jailhouse get you out. And they're very persuasive and managed to get us all back to base without any jail time for anybody. uh, But it was a hoot. But the the strange part of that was that my squad, when I got the ITR, were all from Canada, believe it or not. I was the only non in, in in my squad. So we get on the on the cattle truck, and they look at me and they say, Billy, we want you to go with us. Go with you where? We're going back home, Canada. <laughs> I said, all of you? Yeah, all of you. And he said, We get you a job up there, you'll live happily, you'll love Canada. And I thought, No, I won't love Canada. Anyway, they all hopped on a plane and left the country. So I, and we get back to the base, and the DI looks around, and it's called, you know, you know mustard outside and everything, and he, there's only one person in my squad standing there, and that's me. And he comes over, and he says, where is your squad? I said, uh, they Canada, sir. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you knew they were doing this, and so I get in trouble because they go to Canada, right, but. So, yeah, so I got to get in a new squad again. <laughs> but that was basically the ITR. They did, they did. It was really strange that when they'd have a major fire out there, they would come over and say, okay, y'all are all going to fight a fire. And they'd take everybody out and send them right up to the fire line to put out, help put out fires. I didn't know if anybody knew that they did that, but they do. And they were pretty good with shovels, so... <laughs>
0: that's all you do. Anyway. So once that training's over, and uh, they ship you to Vietnam, what, what year was? When did you get to Vietnam?
1: I got to Vietnam in January, right at the first of January. Yeah, it was later in January, but mm. before that. Before that, you have before you have, that. <laughs> you go before to that. Another, we got
2: married.
0: That, that's I, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> when, when did y'all get married?
1: Well, the next training schedule is bits, which I went through three times, which I I scored the highest score that anybody ever scored going through bits. But that's because I went three times. (laughs) (laughs) My first time I went through, uh, I had, uh, right at the end of training, I had a cyst come up on my wrist, and that base camp building is so huge, you don't realize how huge it is, but you, I had permission to go. To the hospital to see a doctor to see about the whether I need a surgery on it or not well that's so far from where you're at and you got a hitchhike all the way over there there's no there was no uh, other system so by the time I got there it was like 4 or 5 in the afternoon and I seen the doctor and he said yeah that's a cyst I said well Sure does hurt when you're doing six count squat thrust. And he said, Yeah, we'll let it get worse before we're taking it. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, now I got to get back to my base camp. And there was a guy there that was stationed at the camp. And he said, I'll give you a ride. And I said, That's great, no problem. And he did give me a ride. We went to a movie, (laughs) we might have drank a little alcohol. And I get back, and uh, I'm about half-sick, and the lieutenant is on duty, not anybody else. I got to go through the lieutenant, and of course, he put me back on T1, but I got to be company runner for a while. Bits was worse than boot camp for me because Bits was where you you had a DI to teach you for everything, okay? And my MOS was 0351, so we had somebody teach you the machine guns, somebody teach you the 106, somebody teach you the claymore, somebody teach you the rifle, I mean, you know, everything. So you had like 15 to 30 DI's. And
0: you need, <laughs> need to speak you up. <laughs> speed it up. <laughs> speed it up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but anyhow, I got to be company runners at that time, and then the next time was when I went I got, my mother uh, contacted Red Cross. My dad was supposedly, my stepfather was supposedly in real bad shape, and she needed me to come home. So the colonel asked me, well, why are you? And I said, I don't know. You got brother and sister? Yes. Then why does your mother need you? I said, well, I'm usually the one that makes decisions. <laughs> so anyway, I thought I had a 10-day leave. I didn't. And we get home, and. My stepfather was in the living room. He was fine. Me and Katie got together, and we decided to go ahead and get married, <laughs> which we did. Yeah. My wife made all of the bridesmaid clothes. and No? no? My family. you and your family. family. Yeah. And we had a good wedding. Um, preacher wasn't sure about it. What day was that? What day did y'all get married?
2: November 1st of 68. <clears throat> And the next morning, his car threw a rod, so we didn't have a car.
1: Which may have been a payback for my many <laughs> sins that I had done. Like I handicapped, I handcuffed a bride to the to the uh, best, 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 best friend best one man. time and did a few other. Anyway,
2: so we borrowed his sister's. What kind of car was that?
1: Uh, it's a 50 model Chevrolet. No windshield wipers.
2: No windshield wipers. Rain, cats and dogs. Six
1: <laughs> cylinders. You know, it, it was, uh, but it got great gas mileage. <laughs> but, um, so you said you had a 10-day leave. Y'all got married, but. But we didn't have a 10-day leave. And so Your mom. my mom was looking at my paperwork and discovered that I was AWOL, which <laughs> Tend to be a future for me. (laughs) So even though we, as soon as she got word to us, well, even though we, I went, flew back. I was still three days late. So I got to start bits over again. And third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. You get out of bits. You
0: they send you to Vietnam. You get there. What?
1: No, they send us to Okinawa.
0: Okinawa. Mm -hmm. What? What happened there?
1: Which, by the way, I have to thank friends we had uh, a real good friend that was in the Navy, and before we shipped out, they let my wife stay at their house, and on the weekends he would a come pick me up and take me, you know, over there, and we get So that's that's wow. good people.
0: Yeah. yeah. What a
1: blessing. That was a blessing. Yeah. So, okay. but yeah, I went to Okinawa. Okinawa, we was there primarily. It was the staging place for everybody going to Nam in the Marine Corps, at least in the 3rd Marines, and, and that, but because they were fixing out the rights they held 300 of us over for the rights The Okinawans were very anti-nuclear uh, weapons, and they we had the B-52s on that island at the big Air Force base we had there. So, they were trying to get them to leave. So, they had, they had planned on 100,000 to riot. So, they held three of us, 300 Marines to, 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 so we we spent several weeks preparing for the rights, which all that meant in Marine Corps term is one day, you're the bad guy, and the next day, you're the good guy. But it would be two-on-one, and you just spend all day beating each other up with a rubber hose and <laughs> that kind of stuff. And they call that the training for riots. So, wow. By the time you got through beating each other up, you were ready for the riots, you know. You, you know um, yeah. But anyway, we survived the riots, by the way, you know. The uh, military, local police left immediately. The Air Force, who was behind the fence, left immediately, but, and I didn't blame them because they had their wives and children to protect, so they all went to where, they were, where their families were. So that left us, and they knew we were loaded. They knew that we had 18 rounds apiece, and they knew we had orders to shoot. And we only got to shoot once over their head, but that was the end of the ride. <laughs> you know. So Wow, one shot right, right's over. Right's over. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well they knew <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right they the they did respect going. the Marines pretty much in, in Okinawa.
0: So you get to Vietnam, what what was that like?
1: What was your experience in Weird the beginning? in starting off because you fly over on a commercial airline and you got all these stewardess and everything, real friendly, real nice. They really knew where you were going and they entertained you, basically. And that just strange. You get off of a commercial airline and then you're th- thrown into a military vehicle without mm-hmm. a weapon or anything and you, you're sent uh, to your base camp, uh, which, I have to thank all of the ones that were served as preachers in the service my boot camp my preacher was a catholic priest who he says I apologize but there's not enough preachers you couldn't get enough preachers to come into the service so I'm going to be doing protestant services And I always liked it everybody got their dog tags and everybody it would say Baptist Methodist you know Church of God, whatever. Well, when they asked me what I was, I said Christian. And so well, they put on my dog tag, other. <laughs> other is what was on my dad's dog tag. But I was a member of the Main Street Christian Church in Grand Saline, So But when you said Christian, they just said other. other. So on my dad I, if we had a picture of it, you'd see it. But. But I admired him for being able to do Protestant service when he's a Catholic. Yeah. And then when we got to Nam, one of the first people that you meet is the preachers. And so, and they're on the the transport thing that take you to the Third Marine Camp. And they give you a lecture and tell you, you know, how great they're doing. What their job was was to help the locals learn hygiene and all this kind of stuff and, and, he says, and we go by this place and all these women are out there and, and they're brushing their teeth and doing all kinds of other stuff <laughs> and so the preacher says and I sent my wife a picture of this and I don't understand but she still hasn't she, you can tell she's kind of mad at me and I don't know why <laughs> I said Preacher, did you take a picture of that group that's half clothed out there in the river, and you sent it to your wife and told her you taught them how to do this? <laughs> I think I know why she's mad at you. I never thought of that. You know, you know, religious people never think of you know that kind of thing. But he was in deep trouble with his wife. Yeah. Um, what was
0: the what were the living conditions like? What was the food like
1: there? Uh, while you're in base camp, it's good. I mean, you got heated food and everything. Once you go afloat, uh, no. Mm, you know. You what live, company
0: were What company were you in?
1: I was in the Ninth Marine Amphibious Brigade, First and Twenty Sixth Marines, uh, First Battalion, First Platoon, Charlie Company.
2: Amphibious
1: meant. Uh, when I was stateside and my gunnery sergeant, who was a personal friend of me because I made him a fortune when I went through boot camp, he said, Paul, oh, you want to know where you're going? And I said, yeah. And he says, okay, come in here. He turned on TV. He says, that's k That's the second 26. You're, on, you're the first in 26. Y'all take that plate. Y'all rotate out each, each six months. So every six months... While one battalion is building up to a battalion size, the other battalion is losing all the men, and you swap out. So I knew I was in trouble because second Twenty Six was a case.
0: Katie, I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Luke, I think Katie's microphone is maybe squealing, maybe the one that's loud. And is he loud enough? Because you can hear him out there. Okay, it's hard to hear. Well, unfortunately,
1: so, you can hear me. I, yeah,
0: it's good. So what, what was your job when you got out there? What What was your job?
1: In uh, the Marine Corps, it's pretty, pretty simple to understand. When you had a platoon, you had a company of riflemen, a company of rockets, a company or a, plato- a squad of uh, machine gunners, and then you had the rockets group. When I was in the rockets, which was the old bazooka when I first got there. Uh, you know, it, you screwed together and you, you fired it that way on the shoulder. And so you have, and what's confusing is you when you're in a base area, your squad leader is the rocket squad leader. You know, Lindsey was his name. And then when you're in the field, you have a different squad leader, and my first squad leader was Cantu. And so when you break it up, all four of the different squad leaders will get together inside which four men from each one of them would become the rifle squad, you know, or whatever you want to call them, the field squad. And so the camaraderie that your squad becomes is unbelievable. You'll do anything for anybody in that squad. Uh, And so, but you have two squad leaders, and I try to, because it'll get confusing if I tell you that somebody went down, they'll think, well, that was... So I had multiple squad leaders.
2: You were also a tunnel rat?
1: Yeah, Well, oh, 351 was a catch-all. We were also tunnel rats. And since I was the smallest guy in Charlie County, first platoon, I was the tunnel rat. And the second platoon, the guy was Billy Joe. So Billy Ray and Billy Joe yeah, and did most of the tunnels together. What, we, did, they,
0: did you have a nickname to what they call you?
1: Well, I was kind of strange. I had, in, in the squad itself, I was a little Tex because we had a big Tex. And then, and really, you don't remember any of them's names except their nicknames. But uh, you have a little Tennessee and a big Tennessee and that kind of thing. So, it, you, and so you always have a hawk eye and you always have a snake eye and you have this. But everybody's got a nickname. So little Tex. <laughs> little tech in the so squad what, what but h and s company my nickname was the devil <laughs> now that ain't funny <laughs> but the reason they call me that is if he wanted something blowed up, I got to do it <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's why they, they you know i could I could destroy anything so what's a tunnel rat no tunnel. <laughs> yeah tunnel rat. It was not like the ones up on the, the DMZ or whatever you want to call it. The Tunnel Rats there, they really had massive tunnels. I mean, they were massive. You, you, but where I was, they were just shallow. Dug. Every, every village had them, and they had them. They would, when anything happened, they'd go into their tunnels. They'd go in underground, try to disappear. And,
2: that made you wear a blue scarf?
1: Yeah. Uh, I started wearing a blue scarf because when I'd go in, I'd go without a shirt, and that way you could feel everything. You wanted to feel everything when you went in, and you, I'd have a 45, and I'd have a light, and I'd have my K-bar. And you'd crawl in there and try to get them to come out. And, and then, I tripped a few trips, wires, and thought I was never, I thought, good Lord, and going to make sure I'm getting home because I never did get hurt. Well,
2: but why you well. wear the blue scarf?
1: The blue scarf is because you're going to come out somewhere other than where you went in. And when I'd come out, because I'm so small, and my skin color, I look like the Vietnamese. So, I almost got shot by my own people many a time, so started wearing a blue scarf around <laughs> my neck. <laughs> Which I should say, if you ask me, people that I can't forget. Yeah. Yeah. The Arvin that was signed to us spoke English. He was a ranger. Arvin ranger. He was an officer. And I always feel bad because we left them all there just like they did in Afghanistan. It's just so wrong. But he was always with me. Uh, I gave him all my K-rations. I never eat any of my K-rations other than because he prepared all my meals. He picked me to be his, I don't know what you want to call it. He He would do all the interrogation. So he had to have somebody that was an American present. So I was the other interrogator. So... But to this day, he doesn't eat rice. I do not like rice, no. <laughs> no rice. And, 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 and everybody would say, you know what you're eating? And you'd say, no, I don't want to know what I'm eating. All I know is it's hot, and it tastes good, and I'm eating it. <laughs> but one day I seen him. I went by this water buffalo, and it had all these maggots, in it she was dead, and laying there, and, and I seen him come behind me, and he cut a hindquarter off, and I thought, oh, good Lord. And sure enough, that night I had buffalo steak. It was that. the best steak I ever eaten. <laughs> it had been tenderized, and it was good. <laughs> it, it was good. Wow. Tell wow. him the,
2: who's the guy that wanted to shoot everybody?
1: You mean the one that was the crazy? crazy? <laughs> there was a guy named Hudson, and he was from New York City. He was a gangbanger before he went into service and you would think he'd be the toughest man alive, but he was he was scared to death of darkness, rats. I mean I was in a bunker with him one time and he was shooting all these guns off and you're you're inside a bunker and all that noise and everything. What are you doing? he says, I'm shooting the rats. I said, leave him alone. You ain't going to kill him anyway. He just you know. <laughs> he, he was trying, and we would never have any sea rations when we when, when I was with him in that bunker because uh, you used to you have these tablets you could heat up your meal with, and he'd use all of them to burn in the in the hut. So you know, it's, it's, I call it a hut. You know, it's just a sandbag little. What about the preacher's son? Is
2: that friend.
1: Uh yeah, Lindsay was from I think he was either in Nebraska, I believe. Not a hundred percent sure, but he was he was my first uh rocket squad leader. And he was pretty much he was a preacher's son, he was pretty much our religious leader. He knew the scripture better than the rest of us. And everybody thinks that Vietnam vets were not Christians, but we were all Christians. We all... I got tickled. There was one guy in the unit. who was an atheist. He was really an atheist. After we'd been in the field for a while, he comes up to me, and I notice he's got a, rotary, a rosary on his neck. You know, he's a Catholic, and he had all these. He had a cross on. And he, he said, I said, what are you doing, man? He said, What religion are you? I said, Well, I'm a member of the Christian church. He said, Well, what do you do to get to heaven? And this kind of stuff. And I said, You're not an atheist anymore? He said, No, man, I <laughs> want to know every religion. I'm going to believe whatever one believes, you know, because I'm going to get there. You know, I'm gonna, okay. They say there's no atheist in the foxhole. There's no atheist in the foxhole. Wow. that's 100% true. Yeah. There's no atheist.
0: I want you to walk us through the, the day. Of your injury, what was what was happening? Where were y'all at? Kind of lead us up to it, and then
1: take us through that. Well, you can't talk about the, the 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 day of my injury without talking about the day before my injury. Like I said, you didn't. The first one to get killed every time was usually the rock. It would be the radio guy. His antenna sticking up. They know it's your communications. They know that's how you get. Firepower in there and uh, get. We also had the Navy on our back. I was on the Okinawa. The Okinawa and the Iwo Jima were the two amphibious ships that we used, and they rotated every six months, just like the Marines rotated every six months. And if everybody remembers back then, they were the two ships that were used for all the Apollo flights and everything, because they were the ones who go out and pick up pick them up and bring them back onto the ship. So, but they were always gone, so we didn't get supplies, so you'd usually run out of supplies because of that, and somebody would be supposed to be supplying you, but they didn't. But the day before I got hurt was the worst day of my time in Vietnam. We had been very successful up until this point. We were called... Lucky Charlie and after that day we was known as Medivac Charlie we had found all kinds of things through the interrogations of the prisoners and they pretty much had a bounty on my Arvin friend and he said they had one on me he said the guy with the blue scarf so but I didn't I don't know if that's true or not, but he told me that, and uh, anyway, the, it, we through that, we, we, we were able to get a hospital, we were at a, a gun factory, uh, we did all kinds of stuff through our interrogation stuff, and they'd tell us to go capture prisoners, right, and we did that one day, and, and, and that was the funny part, because the officers all called me Hall, which is not a good thing. If they call you by your name, it's not a good thing. And But uh, they m- would say, Hall, we need prisoners. Go get us some prisoners. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll get you some prisoners. But anyway, what we did, we got our prisoners, and we were surrounded by 300 300- <laughs> And the lieutenant says, Hall, what do we do? We're only 12 men. I said, we make a perimeter. You see them posts sticking up over there? You tie those guys to the post. And if they start shooting, they're going to shoot their own people. And that's what we did. of course, I'm laying there, and I'm ready for a John Wayne-style thing. I have my rifle there. I have my pistol laying out. I have a grenade laying out. I have my K-bar laying out. I'm ready for him to come. You know, I counted 300 and knew they was coming. And next thing I know, I'm something's all over me and I'm slashing them with my K-bar and everything. And Lieutenant said, oh what are you doing? Killing pigs, sir. It was a pig trail I laid on. <laughs> but I was John Wayne there for a second, you know. Now and all, slashing, slashing bacon, you know. <laughs> Uh, that was the advantage of being a country boy because, you know, we a lot of times didn't have supplies, so I knew how to live off the land. And the day before, yeah, the day before was in, I used to say it was June 1st. Carl said it was uh, May 31st. But anyway, uh, our, 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 was always, usually the point squad. We were the first the squad was uh, picked after the first operation to be the first one in the last one out. Which is crazy. But Anyway, we, we got ambushed that day in an open field, which we shouldn't have been in. Our job that day was supposed to sweep through this village and it was, you know everything we were doing, we were going after them. It was after Khe Sanh or whatever, and they. Um, it was after the big push by the Vietnamese. I forget what they call that now, but anyway. So at Tet offensive, yeah. So we we were basically chasing them all over the place. And so and when we get three, we get all four squads in the open. They open up in a box. And we're pinned down for three or four hours. Uh, you run out of ammo. I'm down, my first, my, one of my, one of my gunners, you know, is, is a rockets guy. They took away my bazooka and they give us laws, which is another story, but I would fired all but one. And the kid, we called him the kid. Cause he was the youngest guy there. Well, there ain't no old people there. They all treated me like I was the old time. Cause, I, but anyhow, they he wanted to fire law, and so I gave it to him, and he got shot. God. And then later that day, the corpsman uh, was with me, and he had a wife, two kids. I remember it well. And they were all wounded all the way everybody was wounded, and so they were calling for a medic and he was he started to get up he said, "Cover me." I said, man, all I got left is five rounds in a in a forty five I can't even, there's no way I can accurately hit anybody up there on that railroad burnt." But when he got up, he got shot between his eyes. So when that guy a while ago was talking about being a corpsman for the Marines, they weren't any corpsmen, hardly. You know, when I got hurt the next, we laid out there for three hours. What's really weird is we finally got him to drop napalm, and it turned out to be my cousin that dropped the napalm. And for your information on them, my cousins were from a little town called Pine Mills. He became the judge over there in equipment for many, many years. But his, my aunt had five boys and one daughter. All five boys went to Texas A.M. All five boys flew Phantom Jets in Vietnam. And i tell you how long the war was. They, they all got to fly Phantoms. and and on some of the sweeps, my brother-in-law was in the 101st Airborne Screaming Eagle, and their division would be sweeping. Our Usually our job on those kind of operations, they would have two or three divisions sweeping, and they have our little battalion blocking. And so you had a choice. You could go up against three divisions, or you could go up against one battalion of Marines. And so we were really, our operations were always hot. The day of, there was was eight of us left under me, and I was now squad leader. And like I say, first to go is the radio guy. Second to go is going to be the corpsman. The third to go is going to be the squad leader. And so I've been through so many squad leaders, and now I'm the squad leader. I was squad leader for a day, (laughs) and. I was hunting for a place to lick our wounds because we were going to go back. We weren't going to, you know, there was no way we were going to go back to that village. You know, so we needed a place to lick our wounds, get ammo, get store, get everything back together. So I picked this beautiful place. It had a river, so that meant we had fish. All you had to do is throw a grenade in, and you had a fish. If there was any fish in there... <laughs> And you also meant you got a bath, which you didn't get very often. And so it was really good. And lieutenant, I have to give the lieutenant credit. He uh, he went with us a lot of our little outings, you would say. (laughs) And he decided that the position I took, which was the ideal one, right, over the, you know, I had the right spot. And he told me it wouldn't be for me, it'd be for H&S Company. They would always get the, the... H&S Company would not actually... They were the ones that were always being protected by the other four companies. You had Alpha, Beta, Charlie, and Delta. And... Hmm? Okay, what happened? They told, they told us to move. Everybody went... We're on top of an old railroad track, which is full of rocks. And... I was the last one through there, and I stepped on a, a Chinese box mine and got all of that shrapnel from the railroad as well as all the stuff that was in the mine. In three hours, I laid there for three hours because we have no ready men. We had no corpsmen.
2: And you said it blew you up and turned you over. and
1: Yeah, and I said, 23rd uh, Psalms.
2: The 23rd Psalms. <laughs>
1: I said that whole thing and I used to know it and I don't think I could say it now but anyhow I said that whole thing before I hit the ground wow right? he knew he was
2: going to meet God he said
1: I seen that bright light and I thought I'm dead you know they always talk about that bright light you see and I seen that bright white light I thought man I'm gone and then I hit the ground and, and I couldn't see and then it was totally blind you know it was just totally darkness I thought this is a death you know, just total darkness, and then I hit the ground and I could see again. So, of course, the medical people say that the bright light was because all your nerves getting destroyed at one time, and then. Um, but I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so you said you let la- you laid there for three hours while they before they could medevac you
1: out. Yeah, they had to send for half my squad back to get the H and S company. Because they're the only ones that had a radio guy and bring the radio guy and Coleman up. And then, so I was three hours and something before they got me.
0: So, Katie wants to read a um, an account of that day from. She's
1: reading from a guy named Carl. Carl was the H&S company. He kept the records. He kept records, so he knew names of everybody and all that. Um, I actually went to. He was the only one I ever talked to from Vietnam. Um, Him and the uh, uh, the Coleman. I haven't heard from the Coleman in years. so He doesn't answer my emails anymore, so I don't know if he's still here or not. But Carl died from Agent Orange. Before he died, I went and seen him in up in Raleigh, North Carolina, and. When I seen him, he was just high on marijuana because Agent Orange was eating him up. And they told him to, that was the only thing that would give him relief. So I didn't have to smoke it when I went in. It was <laughs> me, <was>, you know. <laughs> it was thick. <laughs> so yeah. this is his account of that day. Yeah he, yeah, he
2: was the records keeper. He Billy said he stayed with the officers and he was behind. He was the
1: officer's uh, radio man. And
2: he, he showed Bill that if he didn't have paper, he'd write records on C-ration boxes and all kinds of stuff. But he told Billy he wanted to write this in case he ever needed it, like with the VA or anything.
1: In case I ever wanted to go to with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. I never claimed it. Yeah. I believe it was because of the great hospital in Oakland, which yeah. you had four-bed ward, and they yeah. they really wanted you to talk about it. They okay. didn't want you to hold it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we'll uh, talk about
2: that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On May the 26th, he said, in the Republic of Vietnam on Ganoi Island Sea Company, 1st Battalion, 26th Marine was engaged on an operation Pipestone Canyon. We were in a minefield. 2nd Platoon had found another baby trap, one of four that morning. While attempting to secure it, it was advertently detonated, resulting in killing Staff Sergeant Murray. And Max Lisney, wounding the C.O. Captain Reed, the second platoon commander, the company company gunner sergeant, a squad leader, Corporal Cantor, and others. Billy's squad was called to forward to get online and probe the ground with bayonets, sticks, etc., to clear. I guess that's a land field, a landfill. Mac Lindsay was a friend and fellow rocket team member of Billy's. Sergeant Ernesto Monez was my friend, a sad day for all. Combat was daily encounters with the NBA resulting in a steady attrition of our ranks. On May the 31st, 1969, C Company was ambushed on the railroad burn that divided the island. It was a box ambush that fully engulfed 1st Platoon. They had taken point that morning from my position, I could see 1st Platoon and the enemy positions. Billy, Doc Wiltsey, and James Johnson were pinned down, only feet away from dug-in NBA on the burn. Johnson wanted to shoot a rocket, so Billy lay on his back and stretched out the law and handed it to Johnson, who started to stand and fire the law. He never quite made it to standing before being shot there, being shot through Got the throat, through. killing him. Billy turned to Doc Wiltsey. Doc wanted to go to the aid of another wounded Marine in front of their position. He asked Billy to cover him, took two steps, and dropped dead with a head wound between the eyes. It took supporting arms to clear the burn so Billy and other marines could get the wounded back from the burn. During another attempt to rescue the wounded, the squad leader, Corporal Thomas Blevins, was gunned down. He received the Navy Cross for his selfless sacrifice of recovery, the wounded. Eventually, fixed-wing aircraft was able to break up the ambush with bombs, napalm, and something else. The entire company suffered losses that day, but none more than 1st Platoon. The next day, eight members of the 1st Platoon were all that could be still counted for. The other mar- Marines who died on the 31st were Leslie, Mamak, and Clarence Jones. On June the 2nd, 1969, 1st Platoon, the eight remaining went out on a patrol on the way back to the C.P., Billy stepped on a box mine. He lost his right leg and the use of his left leg, plus the thousands of pieces of metal his body absorbed. That was the last time I saw Billy until recently reuniting in Raleigh. He is one great American. I salute you, Billy. Today, he still deals with wounds and suffers from severe PTSD. Wow. And Carl also told Billy that that was on the 2nd of June, on the 7th of June, what was left of his squad,
1: squad. My whole squad. was run
2: over, and there was one man left. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, one man out of a whole... <laughs> Carl passed away, and he asked me to... Come to his funeral, and I told him, of course I'd be at a funeral. And so when he called me, he told me, "Well, you got good news and bad news." And I said, "What's the good news?" He says, "Well, the good news is you ain't got to come to Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm going to have my funeral in uh, Colorado Springs at Seven Falls." I said, "Okay." He said, "Yeah, they're going to spread my ashes on Seven Falls." I said, "I think that's illegal." I don't care, I'm dead. I I said, okay, we'll do it then, you know. Uh, And he says, now, what's the bad news? And he says, well, you're going to represent the Marine Corps at my funeral. I said, well, that ain't bad. He said, I didn't, yeah, but I'm going to have a uh, banditos funeral. I said, banditos. I said, we always went around with the Hell's Angels. Why would you be having a Banditos funeral? He said, Well, when I moved to Col- lived in Colorado for a while, there was no Hell's Angels chapter there, so I joined the Banditos. I said, Great, okay. So you want me to represent the Marine Corps? And I said, So I have all these Im- imaginations of what it's going to be like because I hadn't been drinking. I hadn't. I'm out of practice. You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> This is not going to be fun, you know. And so I forgot about the time change, and I got there an hour early, and it was raining, and I was expecting all these bikers to come roaring up. Instead, there were several uh, vans rolled up, and all these guys got out with all these jackets on and everything, and they all looked like they're old enough to be in the grave, (laughs) you know. And so I'm starting laughing because I'm thinking this is not what I expected. So I'm laughing at them, and they, when they finally got up there to me, they said if I didn't quit laughing, they're going to hang me from the tree. So <laughs> <I'm not> <laughs> but we did have the funeral there, and believe it or not, the banditos give a really one of the best funerals I've been to. Wow. Uh, now it was illegal, but we yes. did <laughs> we put it, we did put his ashes in the Seven Falls like he wanted. So that day, so
0: you're wounded. They medevac you out. Just
1: just walk us through just a, a little bit. We're kind of
0: running out of time a little bit. But what? Uh, take take us through where you where, where, where they sent you a little bit through your surgeries, where you ended up, and then uh, Katie, I want to know where you got to when you got the word and uh, when you got to go be with Billy. Yeah,
1: the first place they sent me was a mass unit. And then they sent you to the name. The mass unit, all I can remember is I got there, and they started yanking and pulling on you and asking you if you hurt. And I, and I totally passed out. Of course, it hurt. <laughs> but uh, I i was real proud that I didn't go in shock. Uh, one of my squad leaders did that one day, and we lost two more men just trying to protect him while he was
2: but in shock. He doesn't even know how many surgeries he had there or what they did to him. You know. No.
1: The only, only thing I know about in da Nang was there was a, I got my Purple Heart there by the same Catholic priest that was preaching for me in, in wow. San Diego. Okay. Wow, like that Purple Heart. And then I went to to Guam, and uh, Guam was torture.
2: For a it was an old
1: World War II hospital where if you look to the left, you look to the right, all it is is a rose. A bed, either direction you look. And you knew how bad you were by how close you were to the nurses station, which was in the center of all these masses corners. So I was right in front of it, so I knew where I was. I think said seven times they didn't think I was gonna make it. Okay. But every time they cut off somebody's leg or arm, they would send me down and put it on my leg. The skin. <laughs> the skin, yeah. They'd be but even though they know the the skin will not, other people's skin will not a, a, attach, it will form a base. And so, because they had to do skin grafts and they took skin off of every part of my body to put on the wounds. Oakland? Oakland uh, was the best place. They were, we should have stayed. We argue about that to this day because. They were four bed wards. Uh, my roommates were all great guys. Uh, I was well loved and liked because my doctors put me on beer and bananas to gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> so I was given a McIntyre, the corpsman was supposed to bring all the beer that I wanted. And so I made sure there was enough beer for all four of us in that room. <laughs> and so I'd get all these bright ideals at night.
0: Um, oh yeah, yeah, sure. you're, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, one of my bright ideas was one guy was there it was Snow. And Snow was really a nice guy, but he was in a total body cast from the toes to. He, he only thing he wasn't in a cast on was his right arm, right here. And everything else he had rods between his legs, between his arms. And I said, Snow, how long have you been in that bed? He said, Nine months. I said, well, How would you like to get out of that bed? How? I'm just asking you, you want to get out of bed? He said, yeah. I said, well, we're going to get you out of bed. The other guy said, what are we going to do, Hall? And I said, well, we're going to go. I'm going to go steal a gurney, and I'm going to bring gurney in here, roll it up to Snow's bed, and then we're all going to flip him over onto the gurney. And this is after all day of beer and bananas. Yeah, yeah, This is bananas. You can't trust bananas. <laughs> and, and, uh. Anyway, and boy, did I gain the weight, though, yeah, you know. But anyway, we were in the process of doing that, McIntyre was one of the best corpsmen in there was, besides bringing the beer, and he always got enough for himself, too. Uh, he would, he come in, he says, what are you doing, Hall? And I said, well, I have this good idea. And I told him my idea, and he says, you're crazy. I said, it's my idea. We're doing it. Whether you help us or not? And he says, I know y'all will, so he went ahead and helped us. So. <laughs> after that, Snow, man, he'd go all over that hospital on wheeling that little old gurney around, face down on the gurney. And he loved it because after you've been in the bed nine months and you ain't seen him, he, we took him outside and everything. <laughs> My little group were crazy. The other guy was uh, double M fatigue. He, He decided he was going to go down Thrill Hill there. There was a big hill going from the hospital all the way down, and then there's a road, and then there's a parking lot. And he was going to get in his wheelchair, and he was going to let it go. I thought, hey, man. So we're all watching him. We watched him, right? uh, He did great going down the hill. I mean, he's going, he's going. And he made it across the road, and I thought, man, he's going to make it. And then a car pulled out in front of him in the parking lot. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) Bam! Busted both his legs wide open again, and had to start over on his therapy. Uh,
0: So now, when did when did you hear uh, get the word about Billy's injury, and when did you get to see
2: Billy? Signed. He told me he signed some kind of paper that if he ever got hurt, that he was to call me instead of hearing from the military. On so one night, one or two, well, one or two in the morning. I got a call from him and he told me he was injured. He had lost a finger, he was in the name. And, you know, we talked. And then he called me the next day and he couldn't hear me because it blew his eardrums out, you know. That explosion blew, you know, how they tie the boots on, blew his boots off, blew his eardrums away, knocked the lenses out of his glasses. Uh, holes through everything his dog tag has a hole but anyway so the next time he called me he couldn't hear me and he was real upset but they uh he spent a month in guam and then they sent him to oakland so that's when i got to see him my mother-in-law went with me we were all so poor i went with her to the bank to get along to get two airlines i time.
1: have to thank that small town that i came from they give us yeah money they collected money fly. And, uh,
2: anyway, that's when I saw him. I remember my mother saying, Katie, it's been like a month and a half. You know, he may look like somebody from, a, you know, a starving country. And I said, oh, it'll be all right. And he did. He weighed like 76, 78 pounds. He was skin and bones, but it was, it was so good to see him and be there with him. And, uh. His mother stayed about a week, and uh, the nurse said she was glad she left because she just, mother, she just did everything for him. <laughs> and they told me, don't do that.
1: And that's a been a blessing. <laughs> My wife has always never treated me as handicapped. She's always made me.
2: But the guys there, there was so much camaraderie with the, uh, the corpsmen and the guys that were injured. The doctor was young. Everybody was young, you know, and it was, it was a great place.
1: We're thankful you made it home. Thank you, sir. Thank you. For I'm your sorry service. we are so late. I didn't.
0: Y'all got a few more minutes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you 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 come home and uh, you've had a, a a lot of time since then. What did what did you do when you get on? What did you what did well, you go I tried to, to get a job.
1: Nobody would hire me. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to go to college. So I go over to the college, and they say, well, we can't let you in. I said, "Why not?" Because you hadn't took the college entrance exam. And I said, well, you know, "The guy's name was Lewis Registrar." And I said, "Well, who's in charge?" And he said, "Well, that's President Jenkins." I said, "Well, let's go talk to Jenkins." And so I go talk to Jenkins, and Jenkins says, "Why do you want to go to college?" And I said, "Because my brain's fried. I've been hung on drugs in the hospital so long. If I don't do something, I'll never come back. You know, so I want to go to college." Why can't you? I said, because I can't take the college exam. Why can't you take the college exam? I can't write. Let me get this straight. You want to go to college. You can't write. And you haven't had the an exam. And I said, yep. He said, you're crazy. I said, yep. And he says, well, if you can find four teachers that will give you oral exams, I'll let you in. And I did. I asked, well, who's, who, who were veterans? Or who's somebody? You know. So I got I got Ford's teacher, and she went with me.
2: I Uh, want to tell one other thing, though. When when he was injured, uh, we kept getting what was it? You got back then?
1: (laughs) Morphine. What are you saying? The yellow slips. Yellow slips. Oh, the telegrams.
2: Telegrams. (laughs) Telegraphs. I get a telegraph every day telling me the same thing over and over and over. And eventually, he lost his leg before he came to California, and I got a telegram about that. But one day, I was at Mom and Dad's house, and my sister was there, and uh, this car drove up and out got two Marine Corps officers in their dressed blues. Back then, that meant somebody died. You know, they come to your door, and they say, I'm sorry to inform you. So shook me up a little bit, and my sister ran off and left me there, But uh, they came in and they asked me to sit down and uh, asked me if I was Linda Hall and uh, told me that they had to tell me that Billy has lost his leg. And I know I I probably looked euphoric because I already knew that. (laughs) They had come to tell me that, not to tell me that he had died. But I'm thinking in my heart, I've known all this time Billy's going to make it back. But what else could this mean, you know? But anyway that's what it was. Well, that was
0: good news. <laughs> yeah. So you got in school. And, yeah. Uh, what did you do for a career since then? Since you...
1: Well, I, was, I, I never did take the college entrance exam. Yeah, but you got in school. But I got, into got school, in school. And I got her to get in class with me, and she took all the notes, and I made the grades. <laughs> and that's the only reason I never made good grades in high school, because I never took any <laughs> notes. And, uh, then she said to me one day, if I get pregnant, can I quit school? And I yeah. said, yeah, and she was pregnant so, next no. day. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: I, went for,
2: <laughs> I went for a year with him, and then I got pregnant. And so he went, and he took all the notes, and I had to transcribe them and type them, which was very hard because he couldn't write legibly. But uh, Still oh, one thing that made me so mad, because if you know Billy, you know he's not an English major. He's a very good accountant, uh, CPA, but we had English together, and of course I took the notes. We had to write this paper, and so she read my paper as one of the worst, and she didn't tell everybody my name, but I had a dangling participle, and she just ripped me up, and so then she read his as the best,
1: (laughs) and I'm just furious because
2: I make A's, you know,
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 went, I went from the fourth quadrant or the last quadrant in high school to the top of the class in college and so wow. I even made Alpha Chi if you know what that is and That's yeah, the wow. the honor society so and
0: so then you became an accountant I
1: became an accountant because after two years of college they still wouldn't hire me anywhere so I went back and I thought well I gotta do something so accounting seemed like the best choice <laughs> because I didn't figure they'd but you know, still, when I, when I got hired, I interviewed for a job at Delta Drilling Company, and I go in there, and Charlie White was the interviewer, and he says, Well, Billy, we wanted to hire an accountant. We wanted him to work six months as a roustabout on pipelines, and then six months uh, on the floor of a drilling rig so he could learn all the equipment. And I said, Fine, when did I start? And he goes, You don't understand. You can't throw that chain around that pipe. I said, I don't know. I ain't tried yet. You know, anyway, he didn't hire me at that point. But a week or two later, he called me. He said, I've got you a job. I said, good. What's your job? He said, it turned out to be the best training there was. I became vacation replacement for every accountant in the building. And they had 600 employees in office, you know, Delta did at that time. And... So I got to learn every job there was in accounting. So when they went public, I was the logic one to be ahead of the SEC filing because I knew wow. every job. Yeah. Uh, after that, uh, Delta finally went bankrupt, and mm-hmm. and when I left there, I, I went to Dallas and worked for the Hunt family. Yes, indeed, the mighty Hunts. Who we are filthy rich if you didn't know it. And I didn't work directly for them. I worked for one of the CPAs that used to be an auditor for Delta. And when I was hunting for a job, he heard that I was hunting. He called me and hired me. I said, Well, what do you want me to do? And he says, You're going to be the undercover accountant. An undercover accountant. I thought, like, That's great. I mean, what? <laughs> you going to hide me? What? He said, No, I'm going to send you to every company we're losing money and you're going to find out why they're losing money and write a report how to fix it. I said, okay. I said, that sounds fine, and I did it. And I I successfully did it. I mean, it was a good job. Well, then the U.S. Attorneys was hired, and I want to get back to Tyler because I was a weekend father. I'd signed this stupid contract with them that I would work, any of the hours from Monday at 8 a.m. till Friday at 5 p.m. So they took me literally. They worked me 24 hours a day. <laughs> but we did turn a lot of companies around. But anyway, then the U.S. Attorney's Office, I went to, went to, interviewed with them, and then I interviewed with them. I said, why are y'all calling me? And they said, well, you interviewed at a clerk's office one time. I said, yes, and they posted the wrong, what they really wanted was not an accountant. They wanted a data processing person, and I told them who to hire, and, and they said they'd keep my resume, and he said, they did, and they sent it over here when they heard that this job was open. Okay, and then they hired me, and I said, why did y'all hire me? And he said, well, everybody we talked to said, you could figure out any, how anybody did anything wrong. I said, yeah, I was a natural thief and my head. And so that's why I got the job, because I could look at something and figure out how you would steal from it.
2: When Billy was working, for a while he tried a prosthetic leg. It didn't work very good because he couldn't go up a step, or, so he, he quit. But he'd wear it to work every once in a while, and he would go down through the, the hallway with a cane, and he said people would pass me and say, hi, Billy. I'm... He said they never paid any attention that I wasn't on crutches. Isn't that weird?
1: He had a leg. (laughs) That was weird anyway, but I had to quit that. Uh, Not because of what you think, but but if you wear that prosthetic leg and you drive a car, the prosthetic leg would come off. So to put on a prosthetic leg, you have to wrap it with an ace bandage and pull it through the hole and then put the, you know, Put the screw back in it and pop it and everything. Well, to do that, you gotta drop your pants, which I was doing in the parking lot. Which I thought it was fine. I did it for months, and then all of a sudden, somebody complained. I, so I had, I, had to, I was always shy, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we
0: we, we know that, that, you know, you said you got pregnant. Y'all had two precious children. We did. Uh, son, Eric, and then, of course, our precious Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. That we, we, we miss so much. Rachel, I think, probably loved church more than anybody. And she was my cheerleader. Yes, yeah, she was. And uh, what would you say, because I know there's a, a lot of parents that, deal with the loss of the child that's just not what we're supposed to do but how how are y'all doing how have you done what would you say to parents going through the loss of the child
1: i feel sorry for you i'm very very sorry for you when you're talking about that though i have to bring up the fact that you when they did a study by the American Legion did a study in v- after Vietnam, and they said 35% of all the combat marines first born had a birth defect. In their children. In their children, because of that age in Orange. Yeah. And our country's never recognized that. And yet we paid $7 billion to the Vietnamese for all of their cerebral palsy and other deals. So we admitted it it did it to their children but we didn't admit it to our own.
2: When Rachelle first left uh, when Rachelle first left I remember thinking I can't do this but you know you say that and then you do it um when we were in the hospital with her and Pastor Samuel was so good to be there with us um I remember standing over her bed, and the Lord said, Trust me. And I said, Yes, we will, Lord. And I'm thinking maybe this means He's going to bring her out. And then a few days later, I'm standing there, and He said, Trust me. And I said, Yes, Lord, we will. And I'd heard talk, you know, like things weren't going so well. And uh, I knew, we knew that it was her time. But. Uh, I remember going home that day. We were in different cars, and I told Billy, how are we going to live without her, you know? And he said, Katie, do you realize what God just did for us? He rescued Rachel from a fate worse than death, what she would have gone through. And uh, so we we pressed on. And every, every night, she was the last thing we thought of, every morning the first. And sometimes in the morning, it was like, is this real, you know? And, uh, I don't know. You, you just, you just go with God and you, you get through and wonderful friends like Janet and brother David and every one of you in the church that said anything to us about Rachelle. you don't know how much that meant to us, but so many days, uh um, really don't talk much about it, but it's, it was killing him and and I was really low, and I felt like the Lord said, you know, I'm taking care of Rachel. And I said, I know it, Lord. I just miss her so much. And I'd be out in the backyard in the swing, and our son would come out, and you have to know his personality. But he would say, are you just a tired old woman, or is this morning? And I said, oh, son, it's, I am a tired old lady, but this is morning. <laughs> And uh, but anyway, it's just a day by day walk and good friends and knowing that the Lord the most the most important thing is knowing where she is and how happy she is and knowing that we're seventy two years old. It won't be long till we'll see her. I don't know. It's just um, you make it. You do make it, and it's not as hard as it was. You know, in the beginning, we don't cry as much. We talk about her all the time. And uh, just remember the good things.
0: Are they not amazing? Thank you you all so much for sharing your story. And I I know, as you all know, there's way more to it. Thank you all for, 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 for being here, for listening, and for all those that are watching online, and I know that uh, if you know a veteran, if you know someone that's uh, suffered injury and is having a tough time, come on, this is a story of hope. This is a story of God's mercy, God's grace and his strength, and whatever you're facing, you can get through it, and there's hope on the other side.
2: Yes, We, we have had a very good life, the best life. We had the best kids in the world, you know. I was able to stay home with them. And uh, it was just a wonderful life. Billy asked me one time, Do you, if you want to go to work, you know, we can make it happen. And I thought, like, I will want to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> I loved being at home with the kids. And I was one of those mothers that looked forward to summer because, you know, you didn't have to get up early and you were home with the kids. And we, we like I said, we had fantastic vacations. We, we played games and cards with our friends from church. And our home was usually the one where they came. And we were just always,
1: yeah, we, we enjoyed life. We, when we when we, were, when we were all younger and we were real, real involved in the yeah. church over there in Edgewood. I mean, we helped paint the church, we cleaned the church, she was church secretary and seemed like everybody was at our house nearly every weekend because we entertained and now we're old. We're not much on entertaining and we're not much on Billy Played amazes
0: in. me. I mean, he is—he doesn't let anything stop him. He does everything. He works at his shop. I called him the other day. He, he's told the phone. I said, what are you doing? He's under the tractor. He's, yeah. he's working. <laughs> I don't want to let you go. And uh, yeah. he just amazes me. I got somebody, I've got. i been going to the hospital to visit people. And they'll say, Billy came by and saw yeah. me. And uh, I just, that just that, amazes me. And I'm so so honored, so proud, so honored to be y'all's pastor. And are um, so
1: honored. If you're we're out so
0: blessed. And we're we sorry, close.
1: We're sorry we're not as young as we used to be, uh, we would be a heck of a lot more active so in the blessed. church. But.
0: Billy, let's let's close out today and then we, we have a one one minute video that we're gonna close with. Uh, but what would you say to young people that are thinking about going into the military, serving our country?
1: Going to the Air Force. <laughs> 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 I remember when he we, went we, for the for the rides, they sent us to the Air Force base, and we actually got to go eat at the Air Force. You know, in the rink where you walk through with that little silver plate, and they just throw a slop, 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 but you eat it. You know, it's food, it's good. But then you go in the Air Force, and they say, "And sir, uh, what would, kind of steak would you like?" Whoa, how would you like it done? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You know, I mean, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know. You know, you kind of, well, these guys eat like that all the time. Wow. You know, I mean, you kind of like going, going to Air Force. It's it's, it's much better. <laughs> now, I wouldn't recommend the Navy because uh, they're corpsmen, right. <laughs> and they have to go with the Marines. Wow. Yeah. Let's give them one more big hand clap.